0: Welcome to the Pulpit Ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join Pastor Bernie Diaz for the message. Thanks for being with us this morning. You know, I remember there was a time, about this time a year ago, that two Christian celebrities apostatized, or they defected, from the faith one was a former preacher and pastor who kissed christ goodbye kind of playing off the title of his best-selling book of some years ago about dating and there was big shock and awe over his defection so to speak over social media revelation he made with an instagram post that he was leaving the ministry as well as his wife of 20 years and in his relation he talked about the church he left that he'd been pastoring for years in maryland to study at a more liberal seminary in the hopes of building a more formal and academic theological base that he felt that he had never enjoyed before. and That could be a red flag right there. He later apologized to the LGBTQ plus community, regretting the teaching of his books and his former pastoral ministry regarding sexuality, he said. He posted that he regretted standing against marriage equality and that the biblical doctrine of biblical sexuality he had preached before now seemed to him as bigoted or discriminatory in some way. For him, something changed. For us, I can tell you, in this world, very little has changed. The text before us this morning just read is an indictment and a warning against False teaching, and the teacher is to teach it. And you might think, "Wow, again, we're going to hear a message about false teaching." Well, you might think again, "Why? Why is Paul going back to this? He's already covered this ground, hasn't Why? Why does the New Testament in general spill so much ink on this issue? Which it does, by the way." It is a big deal to the extent that we know that each and every book in the New Testament in some way, shape, or form addresses the issue of false doctrine or false teaching. It's as big a problem today in Christianity as it was then 2,000 years ago. The problem is ongoing. It's a big deal because it causes division, and division in the church matters. It often happens over doctoral issues, arguments, lesser issues word wars they're all big contributors to that false false teaching will lead to a wrongdoing of doing god's business doing things god's way at least a wrong living at least the ungodliness that can even do that in fact at the end of paul's first Timothy, first letter to timothy in chapter six there paul even writes oh timothy guard that good deposit oh you've heard that entrusted to you, that's the gospel of the word, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. That sounds like a pretty big deal, doesn't it? And then in Paul's letter to Titus, a church planter on the island of Crete near Greece, in the first chapter there, Paul wrote this to Titus. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Wow. Now, the circumcision party, that was another way of referring to what was called the Judaizers in the book of Galatians. And what they were about was teaching circumcision, circumcision, abstaining from certain things, behaviors that were out of the Bible, and uh, a form of legalism that was causing some problems. And later we find both Second Peter and Jude, that book deals with it as much as Paul does. Peter said, false teachers would be among them, listen, secretly bringing in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And then he later said, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Hmm, for greedy's sake. Sounds like the apostle might have been watching some, some TV maybe. The donations for holy hankies that go on. Jude, in his very little but deep one chapter book, letter, told the church that we have to contend, fight for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints from people that, he says, rely on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme their loudmouth boasters who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. It was talking about apostates, those that reject the faith they once claimed. So the big idea here is that part of fighting the faith in this world, which is what the series is about, means not only preparing to suffer well for the gospel, yes, and to be strong in that, but as part of that, it is to do the Lord's work, the Lord's way, theologically and doctrinally, including how we deal with false teachers, and a war, you might get into, of words. So Paul is warning his young apprentice, this pastor, Timothy, of the Church of Ephesus, watch his words, have the congregation do that, and to work God's word the right way. Handle it with care. So what I've done is broken down this text into two parts consisting really of a negative. There's a command or a warning of what not to do, and then we're going to see a positive one of what we should do. Let's look at the first one. Watch your words, watch your words, which is covered in verse 14, then you pick it up in verses 16 to 18. In the text, verse 14 says, remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. So Paul's starting the text by reminding Timothy to remind the church of certain things. He's always reviewing, constantly doubling down on things, doctrines he's taught before. And so he's saying, hey, remember everything I've taught you so far up to this point in this letter I've written Meaning, most likely he's saying, remember stay strong, be prepared to suffer well. Remember I told you through pictures, three pictures, maybe four, be a teacher, be a soldier, be an athlete, and be a farmer, okay? it's all talking about being strong, being disciplined and hardworking. And then there's a transition here. He makes a change. There's a command. There's a warning about words. Because arguments, like they are today, false teaching, were a problem in that church. They were dealing with controversies that were stirring up a lot of heat, but not shedding a lot of light on what was going on. They were fighting over secondary issues, non-gospel salvation issues. Have you been a part of those before? You probably know what I'm talking about. So he's basically saying, Timothy, tell your church, because it says, testify to them before God, meaning in the presence of, in the church, not to fight about useless words or things that can ruin, damage the listeners. In fact, Paul's going to end the chapter the same way he's beginning this part of the passage. If you look down to verse 23, which we'll cover in depth next time, he says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed Quarrels, fights, right? Proper biblical, gracious communication is a constant priority for Paul, like it was for Solomon in the book of Proverbs, which we'll look at in a moment. But again, going back to Titus chapter three, you see this priority from Paul in verse nine, where he wrote, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and they are worthless. Mm. So, in other words, major in the majors, minor in the minors. These things apparently, because some of these false teachers were getting hung up on some words, technical terms, perhaps, to express some ideas. They were confusing people, they're causing problems. You know, I found through the years, Christians should pay attention to communication, the way we speak to one another, and what we say to one another. It's so important. More than we think, and that's why Paul's echoing here, James, remember James in his book says he, that the tongue is like a fire because of the damage it can do. And Solomon was so wise on this in Proverbs, he said, it is a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to court, That's in Proverbs 20. And then it goes on in Proverbs 16, he also says, a wise man's heart guides his mouth. Mm. All of that. Also, that goes the idea about not casting pearl before swine. Jesus talked about that. That's a New Testament phrase that you might have heard, weren't sure what that means. What it means in short is, don't waste your precious time and effort on giving the gospel or truth to people who have no desire to hear it, who have no desire to learn from it, who won't give you a fair hearing. Don't cast your pearl, something valuable, before swine, someone who's just based in their, in their heart and their mind and won't, and won't listen. So what you have to be willing to do at that point is take a break or not say something at all if you know the person. Why is that? Because, again, you don't want to needlessly fight about words that will, as it says here, ruin the hearer. The Greek translation of the word ruin here is the word we get catastrophe from. You know what that means? We just saw a catastrophe played forth last week through Hurricane Laura, particularly in parts of Louisiana. That left destruction and ruin all over the city. Well, Paul's using that word in Greek back then to communicate the idea of the catastrophe, the wreckage that can, do, that can harm a listener and their faith because of harmless, useless words, even when it comes to evangelism, gospel, you know we talk about in our church sowing and sleeping god's sovereign and salvation but you have to sow the right seed that's our responsibility it's god's seed the gospel in a, in a, in a winsome or attractive tone the solution to recognizing this problem by the way correcting it countering it the right way is in verse 15 but before we go there we're going to skip down to the passage i want you to see verse 16 as we're talking about again this warning, this argument for the watching of words he says in 16, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, right? Paul is saying false doctrine, false teaching, words, error. You should be able to spot it as being a little more, if you're a Christian, you should spot that as a little more than shatter, noise, worthlessness, worldliness, even, is a part of his idea, foolish talk. It's ultimately meaningless, but let me tell you, it is nonetheless dangerous. It really is, because it leads, according to Paul, to ungodliness or rebellion against God. And furthermore, he says it spreads, literally from the Greek, it sticks to people, like the disease of gangrene. Graphic picture, that word can be translated as a canker. It's this ulcerous sore that would spread, still does, it just eats away flesh and bone. In fact, interestingly enough, a modern translation of this word updates the word to cancer rather than gangrene. And that's the analogy that this kind of false teaching and talk carries. False doctrine can spread like cancer. Hymenaeus, by the way, was one of those that did that. He was big time trouble. He had been called out by Paul already in his first letter to Timothy as having been turned over to Satan as a blasphemer too. So he goes back to this warning here, Paul, does for us to avoid foolish talk and teaching and know in your heart why it's worldly and worthless, and then you'll know how to deal with it. So here I'm going to help you really quickly with some primary issues, essential doctrines of the faith still being debated today that shouldn't be. Among professing Christians in particular, that you want to be clear on in terms of hills to die on, and that you're not going to wrangle and bow down to and needlessly debate. And that list of doctrines, it can vary, but I've got a top six here for you. Here's the first one if you're taking note the inerrancy and infallibility of the Word of God, which leads to the sufficiency of Scripture which we'll dig into in the next chapter of this letter. What that just simply means is that the Bible makes no mistake. Everything in it is absolutely true. This is where everything else starts because your understanding of God and his revelation about Christ, about redemption, creation, the fall, restoration, the come, it's all based upon whether the Bible is right and authoritative to you. Secondly, the deity of Christ. We've talked about that often. You have professing Christians that doubt and will argue with you whether Jesus is God in the flesh, God incarnate, and not providing the perfect substitute for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible clearly teaches Old Testament and prophecy and promises, New Testament from the words of Jesus and the apostle, Jesus is God in the flesh. you got to know that. Thirdly, going to a similar doctrine, the nature of the Trinity, God is one in essence as a being but in three individual persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So non-negotiable. These are hills to die. essential doctrines. So, you know, we're, we're not going to quibble about these things. These are the things that we already know to be true, and there's no gray here. These are black and white issues, such as the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that is an issue that causes a lot of controversies today, because it has to do with these secondary issues of the signs and wonders the spiritual gifts have they ceased Do they continue the prosperity gospel has come out of this movement of misunderstanding of the holy spirit the prosperity gospel again i'll tell you there's no gospel at all the next one this is really important, so essential justification by faith justification being declared righteous or right before god when it's judgment time that's talking about conversion it's talking about salvation talking about redemption Are you saved by faith in Christ alone, according to God's word alone, for God's glory alone? All right, all of the five solas. Or do you believe erroneously and teach erroneously that you are saved by faith in Christ, plus plus a number of other things? Maybe it's a confirmation you made, a confession, a communion, mode of baptism. Prayers, beads, candles, church attendance, offerings, door knockings. There are very, very kind people, gracious people that believe all of those things or some of those things are necessary in order to be justified before God. It's tragically wrong. Last, on this short list, hell and judgment. There are people that profess faith in Christianity, but they do not believe in, hold to, or teach others the fact that hell is a real place for people that are unredeemed, unbelievers that will end their life that way, this way. And there has to be him. There has to be, because God is a holy, just, righteous judge, he must punish sin, particularly sinners who will not trust in the sacrifice of the cross of Jesus that we're looking at today on Lord's Supper Sunday. These are essential doctrines. And see, the kind of battling against these issues, it'll just multiply itself, will lead even to more ungodliness when you hear about false teachers who will question or underline, especially the credibility and the sufficiency of Scripture. And then they'll go to the next step. You've heard about these steps today. Because they don't hold to the authority of Scripture, they'll tell that the Bible allows for modern feminism or for female pastors, or as I just heard this last week, a minister running for a seat in the Georgia State Senate who says the Bible teaches the kind of liberty that allows abortion, or the Bible's teaching on sexuality was only cultural, it wasn't applicable to us today, so God allows freely for the LGBTQ agenda. And I understand the heart behind that, scripturally, theologically, doctrinally, it's flat out wrong, all of it, right. and that's the kind of teacher, that's the kind of teaching Paul is warning Timothy and the churches to be on the lookout for, watching out for words. I mean, according to Acts 14, bad doctrine and theology, and another metaphor, infects like poison. This poison is lethal. Look at verse 18 of the text here on this point. Paul says, these people, like Hermonius and Finanius, they've led others, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting, upsetting the faith of some. So you have people with bad teaching departing from the way, literally. They have gone away from the faith, and their faith has been upset, or as the NRD puts it, destroyed the faith of some. I'll give you an example. The one given here in the text, from these two men Paul is calling out. They had false teaching on the resurrection. Now, some commentators think the false teaching here was the denial of the word bodily resurrection. It was really spiritual in some way. Remember, Gnostic teaching was big at this time, meaning that anything that is in the flesh is bad. Everything only in the spirit is good. So the resurrection had to be spiritual only for it to be good. Right. They had those kinds of issues. Now they could be dealing with that here, at least in part, but what I think is being referred to here is the second resurrection of the dead. I think these two men were teaching falsely about that. Paul calls the Lord's resurrection on the first Easter Sunday as the first resurrection, then the resurrection of all Christians is called the second resurrection. I think that's what's being dealt with here, the redeemed. And that resurrection co- coincides with the Lord's return to earth, the second coming, what the Jews would call then the day of the Lord. And by the way, Ephesus wasn't the only church dealing with this particular issue in Asia Minor. In fact, if you look at First Thessalonians chapter four with me a moment, or you can make a note, you're going to see that Paul there is talking to a church that was struggling with the idea that they may have missed what sounds like to many, what sounds like a pre-tribulational rapture catching up of the church. You had people that were stressed out. They thought they missed it somehow. Christ came, raptured up believers, took them home, and they were not a part of that. So Paul seems to be referring to that kind of false doctrine or test as text as well. Look at First Thessalonians, how he lays this out. Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, being dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So you see what the issue is here? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him with him those who have fallen asleep or died this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not proceed go before those who have fallen asleep or died and look how key that is verse 18 he says therefore encourage one another with these words in other words you haven't missed the resurrection that teaching by Hymenaeus and Politus is wrong in fact, in the next chapter of 1 Thessalonians in, in chapter 5, Paul again just doubles down on that verse, not for, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day, the coming, day of the Lord. It's not going to surprise you like a thief. Verse 9, for God has not destined us, meaning Christians, for wrath, that judgment at the second coming, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So kind of to wrap up this particular point, Our text is giving us four reasons why we should avoid or shut down false teaching. Number one, it ruins the hearers. We just heard that in verse 14. It leads to further ungodliness, verse 16. Spreads like a disease, verse 17. And it can upset or destroy the faith of some and produce needless quarrels that break people up, verse 18. So we have to watch out for these words and those that we hear. And the other point here that I want to share with you is the positive command now. Let's switch it here a little bit there of how to deal with this error, how to do the Lord's work, the Lord's day way. And it is the Lord's day. Let's look at how we work God's word. That's in verses 15 and 19. Working God's word. Verse 15 says, see that no one, actually, I mean Thessalonians there. Let me go back to our text in verse 15 do your best this is a familiar verse to so many of you that yes, many of you have memorized it do your best to present yourself to god as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth now interestingly enough the king james renders that first phrase as study yourself to be approved. That's actually not the best translation of the original Greek here. Those translators I think meant well, they use the word study because the end of this verse talks about accurately or correctly handling the word of truth, which is all of God's word, all of the Bible. But really this word has more the idea of labor, heavy labor, eager effort, make an eager effort to do something. That's the tense of the verb. You always have to be making this eager effort to present yourself Do it now, Paul's saying, diligently, approved. If you do, approved, if you work hard with the word, you're going to be accepted. That's what approved means, accepted by the Lord. That means you'll have passed the test as a believer, if you know how to rightly handle the word. So again, we're going to that idea, yes, Bible reading and study is an important work. Make no mistake about it, it takes time and effort and work. That's what Paul is calling for here you have to do that take that effort in order to grow in grace and then give the gospel to others you don't want to be that man or woman you don't want to be that gal or guy who feels ashamed as it says here in presenting the truth or the gospel the kind of shame that won't allow you to sleep well because you served some bad seed see the way according to this great scripture to how to show yourself worker as a worker approved acceptable by God is to rightly divide the word of God. Interesting word from the Greek, it means to literally cut something straight. It's a word that has a similar idea to the word we use a lot of discernment, which means to separate, dividing, separate that which is true from that which is false. So in other words, a Christian worker of the word should know, at least fundamentally, how to handle the Bible, how to read it, live it so then you can give it to others that's the goal. so when you read or you hear error you should be able to spot it you really should your scriptural radar should go off i heard somebody preaching and teaching that online or in person in a meeting whatever something's not right doesn't smell right that's why this really this verse 15 deserves an entire message the flesh this out, or maybe a subsequent small group meeting in our church. And, and maybe we'll do that. But what I'm going to do to give you just a taste of this is a little three-step process. And so you know, church, we love acrostics and acronyms here. But I'm going to make this one up. It's a good one. I want you to take note of this. O-I-A. When you're looking at the Bible, think O-I-A. O for observe, I for interpret, A for apply. Observe the word. Do a survey of it. Where does this book, where does this chapter, not just isolating the verse, fit in with the entire book and the entire Bible? Be a journalist. Interrogate your text. Five W's. Who, what, when, where, why. You can throw in how there, too. Look for that happening in your passage of scripture that you're looking at. Again, this is all about context. Context is king. Second letter, I or interpret. Figure out the meaning. What does it mean by what it says? All right? This is grammar. You're looking, as we often see in the writing of Paul, for what's called indicatives and imperatives. An indicative is just a statement that's telling you who you are in Christ, a description. And then an imperative is a command, is a demand. Obey this. Now that you are this, do that. Look for those. Lastly, A, in OIA, apply the word. What does the text mean to me, and how do I apply it? What do I do with it? How do I live out this word? In the 21st century. So rather than go further with that, we're just going to stick with stay on target with this text, with this idea of this positive command, a warning in it for an approved worker in the word. Don't make casualties in these word wars, don't mistake things. Okay, this is a high Christian priority. So know what you're talking about when you're talking about the word. Like someone once said, life is too short for us to do everything we want to do, but it's long enough for us to do everything God wants us to do. That includes rightly dividing the word, which is so essential to the Christian life. I mean, think about it. How do you know what's right, or wrong? How do you know what's true or false? What is the will of God for your life? Everyone wants to know that. Well, you have to eat Bible daily, constantly, and digest it Slowly, which many of you struggle to do. You need to do that if you want to answer questions like this. Again, it's just about the amount of effort that you put into it. I, I think about the wise words again of the great English Puritan preacher, Pastor Richard Baxter, who said, Were you but as willing to get the knowledge of God in heavenly things as you are to know how to work in your trade, you would have set yourself to it before this day, and you would have spared no cost of pains till you had got it. That's what verse 15 is about here. Finally, working God's word, enduring the Lord's way, assures us of something. A firm foundation. Look at the beginning of verse 19 at the end of this passage. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. Before we talk about the seal, there's a foundation, there's a stone, like the cornerstone of a building. All right? And as another translation puts it, it's fixed into place. There's this two-part truth here, like the inscription on a stone, that gives us two things, a believer's comfort and a believer's duty. So right there, you have an imperative and indicative. It's just more harmony here between this idea between God's divine sovereignty to do what he does best, and then man's or human beings responsibility, which is what we're to do, but even within this, these two inscriptions here, there's encouragement, and then there's this exhortation, so that even in the light of verse 18, where people are making shipwreck of their faith, as Paul puts it elsewhere, the Lord Jesus, it says here, knows who his sheep are, he knows, that Greek word, genosko, that has again that idea of an intimate, relational, knowing, loving way, it simply means the Lord will keep his own. So Paul's what he's doing is encouraging Timothy. Hey, you can stay strong and confident that even though false teachers exist, they're in your midst, in your church, in your community, and they may be hurting themselves and others with heresies, with error. God is in control. He's protecting his church, which is the real flock. As someone says, the Lord guards the path of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish so the exhortation for us again is a call to remember our responsibility which is know the truth live the truth and give the truth or saying depart from iniquity turn from evil look at it he not only says the lord knows those who are his okay there's that encouragement but then he says let everyone who names the name of the lord depart or avoid iniquity which is another word for sin. All right. So important because this is how you stand firm when your foundation, when you're having to work the word, trying to do the Lord's work the Lord's way. Paul, like the Lord in the verse, what he's saying here, this is a foundation. So you can really recognize the difference between the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the weeds, right? This is the difference between someone's faith profession, profession versus possession. We talk about that. Remember, we're talking about a fruit-bearing faith. The Christian's faith is fruit-bearing rather than being a saving faith, vice versa. Being a faith that you work for. Like James 2 tells us, the right way. Faith apart from works is dead. So a saving faith will produce sanctifying faith. So as I close, let me just ask you, what have you learned so far this year with the craziness going on in my world? civil unrest continues, racial unrest, COVID, financial issues, hurricanes, all kinds of catastrophes. Don't you want a firm foundation? Don't you want to know you're in Christ? Again, three things you can look for. That you have faith, you have the right doctrine, the right theology, you think rightly about God, Jesus, the gospel, redemption. That's faith. Then you have fruit, that's born out of your life your faith can be seen by you and others and then fortitude fortitude is another word for enduring perseverance for patience persistence in the faith even when things are crashing down upon you you need that till the very end so who's a christian a christian exhibits biblical faith fruit and fortitude that's how you know you're the real deal that's how you know you'll be able to do the lord's work in the Lord's way, and you'll never have to worry about denying or rejecting the faith. Watch your words. Again, these two points watch your words that you speak in here and work hard on the Word of God. Work the Word of God. There was an excavation in Jerusalem many years ago. An archaeologist, his name was Gabriel Barkey, and he discovered a small copper scroll with writing on it from the Bible. The fragment of scripture was real brittle, tarnished with age, as you would think. And Barclay took it to his lab and he worked with this unbelievable patience and delicate care to unroll it, to read it without destroying it. And it was dated around 400 BC, 400 years before Christ. And this scroll was a real important find. let me tell you, because it contained the earliest written Hebrew name for God, Yahweh or Jehovah. And apparently the scribe who copied it had broken with the practice even of writing out the name of God, because always in reverence of the name of God, the Jewish scribes would not pin that name completely. They wouldn't spell it out. So the point of the story is this. The Bible is God's holy, inspired, infallible word, and we have to handle its truth with the same care that this archaeologist gave for his discovery and the same reverence that the copyists always gave to the name and the word of god amen scripture comes to us from god's heart therefore we have to guard this word with integrity by how rightly dividing the word of truth we have to respect every word never misinterpret it never misrepresent it if you need help get help don't twist the scripture's meaning to suit your own purposes or justify your own opinions or Any personal preferences you might have, because that would dishonor God's word and his name. So always, people, always handle the word of God with care. That's how we do the Lord's work, the Lord's way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this holy, precious book, 66 Books of Truth, written by you through the pens and personalities of these different writers, over a millennium, almost two, different continents, different times, different places. This is where it starts. This is where it begins, Lord, our understanding of the word, which reveals who you are specifically, specially to your people. understand understanding. Lord, I lift up in prayer right now, those that may be watching and listening, they struggle to understand these essential truths, the word of truth found in the Bible. But possibly because they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they have not been given that resource, the spiritual resource of the Holy Spirit, his presence, indwelling presence in which to understand it. They've never come to the point before because of religious tradition and grew up in a Christian home, what have you, they think, they may believe honestly that they are Christians, but in fact, despite their profession, they exhibit little possession of saving faith. I pray that one, some... This would be a day of salvation for them truly where they would repent. They would make a commitment in their heart to turn away from their old sin and self and move to Jesus. Turn towards you, God. Trust in Jesus by faith alone that he is who he said and was and is and what he came to do, which is as God in the flesh, come live a perfect life and then die a death on a cross, the hideous death on a cross to pay for the sins of all the people that would ever believe in him And it had to be a hideous death because god hates sin and he will deal with it he'll pour his wrath out on it one way or another either on ourselves individually if we reject christ the rest of our lives we'll have to suffer that payment and penalty forever in a real place or we believe in jesus we trust in jesus by faith as our substitute as the one that took our place on the cross as we're looking at today with taking the lord's supper in our church i pray that that truth will really sink into hearts today and for our people lord god those in christ they have the faith they've exhibited fruit always looking to exhibit more needing more fortitude in their life endurance when times are tough stay strong guard that good deposit watch out for the words that you're hearing communicate in the clear precise way the essential doctrines teaching of the faith make sure your theology is right if you're not in a good bible believing god glorifying and open church and you're watching right now finally quick all right watch out for words work the word of god we pray these things in jesus name amen Christ Community Church is a God glorifying, Christ exalting, and Bible centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's ChristcomChurchCom.org and look for the Giving tab at the top of the home page.